0: Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast, bringing you perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering Hurricane Florence, the devastation the storm has rained on the Carolinas, and what it could mean for the nation's flood insurance program, plus NAMIC's annual convention kicks off next week, how you can learn from industry experts even if you can't make the trip to San Antonio, and getting the message straight. Former NAMIC chairman Stu Henderson tells us his method for developing a strong communications plan. But first, the 2018 hurricane season is already proving to be one for the record books. Like Hurricanes Harvey and Katrina, Florence also will be remembered for its widespread flooding across the Carolinas. So far, the storm is blamed for 32 deaths and a half million households remain without power. Elizabethtown, North Carolina, saw the worst of the rain, with 36 inches falling in just four days since landfall. 4,300 homes in New Bern, North Carolina, are underwater. That's a third of the homes in the entire city. The disaster is also exposing large gaps in flood insurance coverage. South Carolina is the second-highest insured state for flooding, with roughly 65 percent of properties in flood hazard areas insured. But in North Carolina, where forecasters say the storm might bring the most destructive round of flooding in state history, flood coverage is less common, with only 35 percent of at-risk properties insured. Damage estimates are expected to be roughly 3 to $5 billion, no doubt further straining the nation's flood insurance program. In the wake of Hurricane Florence, the Build Strong Coalition has launched a national media and advertising campaign calling on Congress to pass legislation designed to better prepare communities ahead of the next storm. Here's a preview of the radio ad set to hit airwaves this week.
1: More than 3,000 lives lost, over $300 billion in damages. The destruction from last year's hurricanes and wildfires is still being felt today. Now Americans are reeling from Hurricane Florence while bracing for another dangerous hurricane season. Natural disasters are increasing in frequency and severity and causing more destruction than ever. Yet we're spending hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars rebuilding to the same outdated standards that left so many vulnerable in the first place. We need to invest in better building codes before the next disaster strikes. A single dollar spent on pre-disaster mitigation saves 6 to $8 on post-disaster recovery. The Disaster Recovery Reform Act will ensure we invest in a stronger America that will save lives, property, and taxpayer dollars. Tell Congress to pass the Disaster Recovery Reform Act now. Learn more at buildstrongamerica.com. Paid for by the Build Strong Coalition.
0: The Disaster Recovery Reform Act contains a provision that would significantly boost FEMA's pre-disaster mitigation program, arming communities throughout the nation with new tools to build more resiliently and mitigate against the risk of catastrophes. The House passed the DRRA twice, most recently as part of a bill to reauthorize the Federal Aviation Administration. Backed by the Build Strong ad campaign, NAMIC is now working to include the provision in the Senate's FAA bill. The governor of Massachusetts has declared a state of emergency after a series of natural gas explosions killed one person and injured dozens more. More than 60 suspected gas fires broke out in residential homes in the three towns north of Boston. Thousands were evacuated, and 18,000 people lost power at one point. National Transportation and Safety Board investigators are expected to be on the scene as they look into what caused the damage. It could be weeks before technicians finish inspecting all gas connections and return service to area homeowners. In every industry, changes happen, new things are introduced, and big decisions are made. But what doesn't always happen is effectively communicating about these events. Not just in insurance, but in every facet of life, effective communications can make all the difference. It's an often undervalued and overlooked aspect of business. So on today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamniss talks with Stu Henderson, president and CEO of Western National Mutual, about his planning process and best practices for delivering information to his constituents.
2: Well, joining me today on Insurance Unscripted is Stu Henderson. Now, Stu's a member of our industry known to probably all of you, Uh, I hate to say, and I wouldn't say, that his reputation precedes him, but, you know, as a former NAMIC chair, as someone who has either met most of our NAMIC members, listeners, or at least they've heard him speak, you know, you basically know Stu. You know he has a sense of humor. You know that's helped him, I would say, in, you know, becoming the incredibly engaging leader that he is uh, at his company and in our industry, and it just has a tremendous record of success, really, in both. So today, I thought spending some time with Stu, who is, he's a lawyer by background, but an expert communicator, I think, as a CEO, I know he's helped me with uh, quite a few things in uh, his leadership role with NAMIC. I run things by him routinely where I'm looking for another view on some kind of communication. So I think it'll be an interesting conversation. And Stu, thanks for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Love to be unscripted.
2: Uh, <laughs> You know, that worried me a little bit. Uh, I mean, like, it's one thing to have a little gimmick of our conversation is unscripted. It's another to bring in the most unscripted, unpredictable uh, mutual insurance company leader in, I'll say, the world, at least in America. All right, well, um, let me start with this. You know, we have communications in a business environment. And a lot of people focus on the task or the decision or the analysis, but they really don't take the time to think about how do you communicate it, whether it's talking about it or writing about it. Um, how do you see that issue? Because I think you put a little more emphasis on it than perhaps others.
3: Sure. Um, yeah, I think that communications, we all have communication departments even, and uh, there's quite a bit of talk about it. but. Probably School of Hard Knocks have uh, taught me that it's not just important to get the message right, but it's how you do the message and all the details around the how, when, etc. I find it so important. I've kind of got a little script I even use for myself and others to check off, make sure you thought about these things when you're communicating just about anything.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like you have a plan, and, you know, coming from you, who I might have considered unscripted. Uh, you're not unscripted you go into whatever type of uh, environment with a communications plan can you tell us a little more about what you plan or how you approach it
3: sure and it's not like I won't go off the rails on occasion but for things that I consider important communication issues um, I think there's you've got to have a fairly specific plan I even sort of use the analogy, uh, if you were in the middle of a meeting, a business meeting, and you were had to go to the bathroom and you stood up and you just left, people could interpret this as you're rude, you're bored, you, you know, it's a commentary on the discussions or whatever. So even something as small as that, you may not think about it as a process, but some way you naturally know, I should say something to somebody, what should I say, how should I say it, that kind of thing. So for anything that's of any importance, I think you really need to spend some time with an advanced plan uh, on communication. The, the steps I kind of go through is, number one, I define the constituencies. That is, who needs to be told? And while you're thinking of that, I might say, who should not be told, in case there's a confidential sort of aspect to this. I actually will make a list of, here's all the people I want to talk to. Secondly, you've got to say, what should they be told? You may in fact know you're gonna make some change, so in essence you know I'm gonna change from X to Y, but some people need to know the details of how you're gonna change from X to Y. Some people need to be told why you're changing, uh, almost change management type of stuff, the old uh, Cotter things about bringing people along with message, so you really need to spend some time thinking about I have a message, but is it slightly different slant for certain audiences? For example, if I hire a new uh, officer, I want to introduce them internally to the company. I might spend some time in a communication, not just announcing they're coming and what their title and who they report to and all that. You do that with everybody. But I might add they're married, have a couple of kids, what are their hobbies? I try to personalize them because they're going to work with our staff. That same hiring, if I'm doing a press release publicly, I stress their expertise, where they work before, their education, not necessarily the the personal aspects. So the message is the same, but it might vary uh, on which constituencies you're sending it to.
2: Got it. So how about, um, you know, when you consider the methods of communication, uh, we've talked a little, you mentioned the meeting format and structure, you know, press release. Um, What about, you know, social media? Um, email, other tools that we use in uh, communication.
3: Well, certainly, social media is added to another element to your list. But you know, once you decide who you're going to tell and what you're going to tell them, the method can be very important. Um, so we, you know, nobody uses regular mail anymore. But email is it a mass email? Is it a personal email? You know, is it a blind copy to a larger group? social media what do you put out there it's going to get out there probably one way or another but do you do linkedin or or how do you do it and actually the other part of this i think is fairly important on the method selection is thinking about whether certain people need to get it by email some are fine getting it social media but there might might be a message you say this has to really be done in person maybe because you're promoting somebody over someone else or something sort of touchy like that or maybe it's a A change you're making that um, some people are going to be nervous about. So you might need to decide, okay, do I need to talk in person to somebody? And even that isn't the end of the conversation. In my mind, you say, I need to talk to this person personally to give them a heads up. Um, We'll talk about timing in a minute. But should that meeting be, if it's in person, should it be in their office? Should it be in my office? Should it be off-site in a coffee shop? What is the the best way to handle a message for someone who you need to talk to in, in person. To me, the, more, the greater effect on a person, the more you better talk to them in person versus sending them an email or a phone call, uh, that kind of thing. And probably the next thing I just think about before I wrap up on the method is, what would be the anticipated response? So when you write it, hate to be paranoid about it, but how could someone use the message you just sent against you? Or how could it be misinterpreted, perhaps a less cynical way to look at it? Um, You have to look at the message uh, and the method of communication that way as well. Mm
2: -hmm. So the cynical lawyer has a a perspective on the communication as well. It never hurts. (laughs) So how about, and you're talking about uh, in-person communication in part, nonverbal communication, you know, how we position ourselves in these meetings body language how we listen are these skills something you consider as well
3: yes although i i would say that you generally have your own style and you're probably not going to change it for this one communication um i think about not necessarily the body language as much as the setting if it's a you know maybe a harder message for somebody that uh you're, you're concerned about their reaction you, you know, maybe you say, let's not do it across a desk or across a table. That's where the coffee shop maybe comes in. If it's a message that's maybe you want it to be a little more disciplinary, if you will, or coming from a place where it's more formal, you might well say, this ought to be done in my office across my desk. So you, I would think about those kind of things, but less so about body language. I think it's very hard to change your body language um, and, and style for that, you know, that one communication. But I think probably as important as all of that is the timing of it. I found that by telling the person or different constituencies in the wrong order, you can really offend people. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about people love to be in the know. It would not be a good thing to tell somebody um, you're you're getting a new boss and you hadn't told their boss yet. Um, so I kind of think about who who do you tell first, second, and third? Even if the gap between first and second or second and third is a few minutes, you still need to think about who ought to know first because otherwise they're going to be offended because they didn't know. How come no one told me? In personnel type of matters, as I think about changing, a lot of our changes we do are people or organizational department type of things. You know, you tell first the management people who are affected. You tell second the employees and the departments that are affected. You do that one-on-one in person if possible. Next, you tell the people who uh, are the general audience, so the rest of the company who may or may not care. Next, you tell, for us, say, the agents. And then lastly, you maybe tell the general public. It's pretty important to um, to give a heads up to the right people at the right time. Also so that when there's a change, you need the managers who are going to talk about the change, they're not going to talk to you about it, say, oh, yeah, I already knew about that, and here's why, and they've got the proper messaging to uh, to sell the change.
2: Yeah, I saw that unfold uh, in person a year and a half ago as we did a reorganization here at NAMIC of our staff, and, uh, of course, I consulted with you on it, and you gave me a lot of great practical advice about uh, not only messaging but timing and just the process, because uh, particularly in a situation like that, it's not the kind of thing that happens frequently. Um, In fact, in my 15-year tenure, it's happened once, and that was, you know, 18 months ago. So you don't get good at it through repetition and, uh, you know, having some input that, um, you know, in in the case of what I got from you, I found uh, to be uh, very valuable and um, I think helped in the communication. So thank you for that. I think
3: that's all the... Oh My pleasure. It, it, the other thing to think about is that you're absolutely right. You you don't do this stuff very often, the major stuff. So why would you be really good at it, which is why I think it's more important to have your little checklist to, to think about. And if it's that important, sometimes I also say I'll bring in someone else, much like you do when you and I spoke. I might call you or some other manager and say, look, I'm doing this. Here's how I'm phrasing it. Maybe even here's a draft of my talking points. Get a third party to look at it and say, I don't know, that's, that seems like it's kind of harsh, or this seems like you're missing the why, or you're not honoring the past in this change, or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, the more important something is, the more important it is to actually get some other you know, input on that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Well, I think we've touched on it, but I'd like to address it specifically because I think there's a deep uh, connection between trust and communication, and, you know, that involves not only building trust with employees, but also uh, perhaps with policyholders. So maybe we can talk a little bit about how you see that issue.
3: Well, yeah, if you don't have trust, you're probably not going to create it in one message, but I think you're always working on the trust part. Um, Probably a couple things occur to me. One is that if you're since you're always working on the trust, part of the trust is that they've got to understand why you did it. So I think your communication should honor the past as part of change management. That's part a big step. Yes, we did this. This was great. It worked for us. But here's the need, here's the reason why. You've got to be pretty clear on why you're changing it, and here's the solution. And even if people don't like it, they'll you'll build that trust if they understand the thought process. You've kind of show respect for them by by going through it. And the other thing is if your communication is because there's some sort of problem that you're facing into, I think you build trust by just plain facing into it. Um, I'll give an example. We just recently did uh, saw our agent survey satisfaction drop in a couple of offices, and we were talking about what to do about it. And we said, well, let's write back to the agents who have given us the lesser feedback than last year and say to them, we got this feedback it's not good we we believe it's going the wrong way we need your help in fixing things and uh here's some things that we're thinking about doing you know, what would you have us do uh, not only is it helpful because they're fixing their own problem but uh, i think that builds trust by being frank in your conversation about the why
2: oh exactly great example well sue um We recognize the importance of communication in organizations, and uh, I think it's sometimes an undervalued part of business and relationships and leadership. And I really appreciate your time today uh, talking about how you approach it. So thank you. Absolutely.
3: My pleasure.
0: On the next Unscripted, Chuck talks with incoming NAMIC chairman Henry Gibble. He'll take over as chair during the 123rd annual convention next week in San Antonio. And if you're unable to make the trip to Texas for the big event, you can still participate and learn from industry experts through our virtual convention experience. Connect Differently is an online convention option that allows insurance professionals to attend sessions from their homes or offices. You can watch the sessions live or on demand for up to three months after convention concludes. To view the schedule of events and to register for this virtual option, head to NAMIC.org and click on Connect Differently under the Education tab. Well, that's a wrap for us today. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Insurance Uncovered on October 3rd. I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.